Welcome. You are listening to a broadcast by Barnabas Foundation, your trusted partner for smart and powerful generosity. And here is your host, Reverend Philip Leo, Director of Church Communications. Good morning to everyone joining us live uh, today on Facebook Live. We're so happy to have you with us. My name is Philip Leo, and I'm Church Communications Director at Barnabas Foundation. Today, we're thinking about talking about top tax mistakes that pastors make. The original title of this was the top uh, tax mistakes that Phil has made. (laughs) Then I got really nervous about that. And uh, we just sort of went general with it, uh, that pastors make. I'm joined today by Carolyn Van Allen. Uh, She's a CPA and partner at uh, Monroe, Swiris and Trump. And also Scott Ritzma, who's a tax manager at the same firm. Uh, thanks so much to both of you for being with me today. Thanks for having us. I wanna just mention uh, for those joining us live that uh, if you have questions along the way, I'm happy to check on my screen here and uh, I'll try to relay them uh, to Scott and Carolyn and we'll see if we can uh, help you out uh, in real time Otherwise, you can follow up with me afterwards. I also want to mention, too, that uh, because we land these uh, Facebook Live events on my church Facebook group, uh, CRC Pastor and Church Leader Group, that uh, I checked this morning, and we just hit 100 people join on my church Facebook group, and so I'm super happy about that. I'm going to be reaching out to the person who uh, is number 100 because just yesterday I put together a swag bag for that person and I (laughs) need to be able to get it to them. So I'm going to, I'll make the announcements uh, after today, but I just wanted everyone to know that I'm super excited about that. Um, Also, one more thing before we start into our discussion. Uh, Barnabas Foundation is a strong partner with Financial Shalom, which is a ministry of the Christian Reformed Church. Financial Shalom aims to uh, reduce and relieve financial burdens for pastors. Um, the, The firm belief is that when pastors experience financial freedom, that they're able to function more effectively in ministry. And it's out of that partnership, really, that uh, today's Facebook Live comes because uh, we're talking about ta- uh, tax mistakes that, that pastors make. And uh, of course, as you know, pastors have an unusual sort of tax status. And uh, so we'll dive into some of that uh, this morning. So uh, Scott and Carolyn, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's tax season. Are you aware oh. of this? <laughs> we are quite aware of this. Okay. <laughs> I thought I would just check. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also, it's also uh, award season. All the award shows are happening. And so this morning, in light of our topic, I'm going to give the award for most confusing clergy tax law mm-hmm. to self-employed for social security tax, but an employee for income tax. Right. Um, I don't really know where to start with this, except what and why and um, how, how does this work? So let's talk about this for a little bit. Sure. Well, you know, no one said that tax law made any logical sense whatsoever. And so that's why you hire professionals like us, right? 
And so when we look at clergy tax law specifically, it's very confusing because for self-employment tax purposes, um, you, sorry, for social security tax purposes, you're treated as self-employed, right? Um, even if you're considered an employee of your church for income tax purposes. So right. that can lend to a number of mistakes when we're um, talking with churches and planning. And two, you know, your church bookkeeper might not even understand that, especially if you've got a volunteer who's working and they've never done churches before. So it, it can be very confusing. So um, the issue is, too, when you're self-employed, uh, you're going to be paying your Social Security tax on a different schedule completely than how you would as an employee for income tax purposes. Okay. So um, some mistakes there. Uh, if you are improperly classified, um, you'd get a different form. So an employee gets a W-2, an independent contractor reporting wages as self-employed gets a 1099. So there right off the bat, you can tell how is the church categorizing me. Um, most senior pastors and associate pastors are going to be getting um, a W-2 because they really meet the IRS rules as an employee. There are benefits to being treated as an employee also. So when we look at employee non-taxable fringe benefits, right? right. Um, those are available to employees and they're a great advantage because they're not taxable to you. Any payments that are paid for your health insurance or your retirement plan, as an employee, that's a non-taxable benefit. Gotcha. If you're classified as an independent contractor, then those payments technically are just additional taxable compensation. So right off the bat, we want to make sure you're categorized correctly. Um, the other issue is with self-employment tax, you kind of have to make um, estimates um, towards what your tax is for the year. Um, and your W-2, if you're an employee, would look different too from any other employee that's at the church, right? So because you're self-employed, you're not going to have Social Security and Medicare wages as an employee. So often that causes confusion too with the church accountant. So, um, you know, if you're looking at your W-2 and it looks different from, say, your spouse who works, you know, in a different industry, that's correct because it should look different. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then your earnings from ministerial services are the ones that qualify for that self-employment services. If you are, say, teaching at the church preschool or something, those would maybe not be your ministerial wages. So then those um, are just the same as everyone else. But it's the ministerial services that fall under this different tax code. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I know uh, you you mentioned about making estimates on the self-employment tax. Uh, that's one of the myriad of tax issues related to pastors that has always been confusing to me. Is there um, is there an easy, efficient way to do that? Well, there. If you look at the paycheck of a regular employee, um, generally. If you look at the difference between the gross pay and the net pay, you'll notice probably about 30% to a third of the, your paycheck 
goes out for taxes of some sort, either Social Security, Medicare, or federal or state withholding and things like that. So now, granted, ministers are self-employed for Social Security purposes, and they're paying both sides of the, the employer and the employee side of the Social Security tax, right. so their tax would be higher in that regard. But it will be lower for income tax purposes because they have a housing allowance exclusion, hopefully. Um, and they get to deduct one half of their self-employment tax that they pay. So if you so setting aside maybe 30% to 33% of, of salary is a good rough start to figuring out, you know, how much should I set aside for taxes each year? And once you have at least one tax year under your belt um, at a at a church, right. um, what you can do is then you can use your prior year's tax to fine tune that amount to to say, okay, I want to pay a little bit more in estimates for my federal, a little bit less for state, and you know if you have a local income tax, you could adjust for that also. So setting aside probably thirty to thirty-three percent is a good starting point. Um, as for paying, yeah, estimated taxes are different. You have to remember that they're due April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and January 15th of the following year in one quarter amounts. Uh, what you can do is you can request to have the organization withhold if you wish, but because you are a self-employed person, they are not legally obligated to do that. Okay, they can refuse. Right, so you could have your church employer withhold an estimated amount from your paycheck to cover your income tax and your social security tax. Right. But that gets shown only as income tax withholding when they're submitting it to the IRS. Oh, okay, okay. So, yep. um, so I've known folks that have opted out of uh, paying the social security tax. What, uh, what is that about and, and what are the implications? What does that accomplish or not accomplish? What are the implications of, the, of that? Well, what that is, is, um, is uh, it's far more than an economic decision than um, of not to pay into social security. Right. You know, on, on the form 4361 application, essentially what you're doing is you're attesting under penalties of perjury that you're consciously object to any governmental insurance of any kind. Okay. You're a social objector. You're right. a social objector. So what happens is, is, you know, you end up, so not only would you be opting out of social security, you're going to be opting out of all federal social insurance programs, which includes Medicare down the road. And disabilities, okay. right? Yeah, yeah, if you became disabled, Social Security disability would be, would be shut out for you also. So this means that, what it means is that a pastor, if they do opt out, is that they would have, to, they have to make that provision for their own retirement income and their own retirement insurance down the road. And sadly, you know, there are pastors that don't take that into account. Um, so, however, the one thing that is sort of a bright spot is that, is that if your spouse has been working a regular wage, 
even though you've opted out of social security taxes, you are still eligible to claim one half of, of the spouse's social security benefit. So, and if, for instance, if, if, a, if the ministry is your second career, then if you have enough wages from other non-ministerial that you qualify for social security, you could still qualify for a probably most likely a reduced social security benefit. Right. So, and you could qualify for disability too, if you had enough quarters in or however. If you have enough right. quarters earning in yourself. Gotcha. Yeah, whether you, whether you could opt into Medicare is, a, is sort of a gray area. You know, okay. Medicare Part A is the hospitalization. Normally that's free to most employees who retire. Um, you may have to pay for that if you do, if okay. they allow that. That's a question for a Social Security administrator to answer. All right. Uh, let's let's talk about housing allowance. This is another thing that is, I think this is unique to clergy, the housing yeah. allowance. Yeah. Um, what, uh, how, what are some mistakes when it comes to housing allowance that pastors sure. often make? Sure. So pastors or clergy are allowed this great tax planning strategy under the tax code for the housing allowance. So a housing allowance um, is excludable from your taxable income. So you wouldn't pay income tax on that allocated amount. It also applies to if you get a utility allowance from your church or a furnishings allowance, that's all the same. Um, and then uh, if you're provided a parsonage, that's also excluded from income tax. But often the mistake is we think, oh, it's excluded from income tax, so it must also be excluded from Social Security um, on our self-employment tax, but it's not. So you do need to add the housing allowance, your utility allowance, furnishing allowance, or the fair rental value of your parsonage um, in when you're looking at your self-employment tax calculation. So it should be included there. Okay. The other thing that we often see mistakes on is the amount that gets excluded from income tax. So your council or your board will allocate a portion of your compensation that you choose to your housing, right? So that's your allocated housing allowance. Well, you can exclude that from income tax, but it's limited to the amount that you actually spend on your housing related costs. And that can be not just say your mortgage and interest or your rent. That's also to furnish the home, repairs, utilities, that sort of thing, your property taxes. So you need to know what those costs are and keep track of those because you, um, it's what you actually spend. The other thing that it's limited to is the fair rental value of your residence and that's furnished. But what is you know, that cost? So we have to consider all three of these things. So again, you know, it's the lesser of three factors. One, the designated amount. Two, what you actually spend. Or three, that fair rental value of your housing. So some mistakes that get made in tax planning are, you know, not designating enough to the housing. So say, for example, the fair rental value of my residence is $20,000 and say I actually spend $22,000 on maintaining my home, but I only had 
the council set aside 10, well, that's my limit because that's the, the smallest number there. So I can only exclude from income tax 10,000 when I probably should have asked for more and you can't retroactively change it. Oh, really? So now's a great time to look at what you think you're gonna spend for the year, what's your fair rental value, and then go back to your council and say, you know, can I change my designation going forward and take advantage of that? The other area that we see mistakes on are say you're purchasing a home this year. So we're going to put a big down payment on. So in my same example, say I put a big down payment in and I spent $50,000 on maintaining my home for the year. Well, my fair rental value of my home is only 10, uh, 20. So then really I'm limited to that 20. I can't take all that extra I put in. So make sure you're talking to your tax advisor about that if you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna just allocate a big chunk to my salary, um, go. Yeah, and generally the housing allowance has to be approved by the board prior to the first paycheck of the year. And so that amount has to be designated and approved by the board or the council at that point prior to the first payment being made. And then you can change it, but then that again needs to be documented and approved by the council uh, before the change is paid, right? Okay. So you can change it mid-year if, if you can, paid. just not retroactively, right? Only going forward. Only so. going forward, okay, yep. okay. Yep. Uh, so one of the things I learned as we were preparing for this from you guys is, I'm just gonna read it here because I'm not sure I entirely understand it, but um, this is the way I understand it. CRC pension allocates 100% pension payment to housing allowance. Can you explain yeah. what this is? Well, when you're when a pastor retires, they receive a pension from the national denomination. And this goes back to a very old revenue ruling um, for people who like technicalities. It's revenue ruling 75-22. Wait, let me um, write that down. <laughs> which uh, which says that if you receive a, a a pension from a national denomination and that national denomination designates the house a housing allowance as part of that pension you can use that as your housing allowance in retirement so yeah. the crc did not the christian reform denomination has designated 100 percent of their pension as a housing allowance. Again, you're still limited to the fair rental value of the house you are in, right. but up to 100% of the pension can be used to offset income. So what happens though too, when you're thinking about planning for retirement, we often think, hey, we've owned our home, we've got a mortgage on our home, we need, you know, we don't wanna have debt in retirement. Right. Well, consider though that your housing allowance is limited to what you actually spend on your housing in addition to the fair rental. So if you're not making a mortgage payment, then you have less qualifying expenses towards that allowance. So that's just obviously a consideration when we're doing tax planning for retirement, right? So, so if you're going to, so if you come to me and say, well, I don't have enough housing expenses, I might tell you, well, go out and get a mortgage. And you're going to say, okay, what do I do with the money? I said, okay, well, invest it. Then you have that investment sitting there offsetting that mortgage so that at any time 
you feel like you don't need that mortgage anymore for housing allowance, you could pay it off and you'd be done. Right. But, but by, you know, that whatever the mortgage rate interest rate is, I think it currently it's around three, between three and 5%. Um, you know, so it's costing you that in interest expense every year, but you're saving, you know, probably 12 to 15% in, in federal income taxes on that. And, and state income And state tax. income taxes on top of that if your state follows federal law. Uh, so one thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check on questions here, but, but uh, okay. I want to ask you a question before I do. Um, another area for pastors that can be confusing or else uh, mishandled uh, is in the area of deductions and reimbursements. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you guys talk about that a bit? What are the common mistakes or, or pitfalls in, in this area? Yeah. Well, we have, we have a few things. We have... Um, Obviously, your business, your expenses associated with your ministry are deductible. Like, for instance, your mileage that you you incur while you're doing ministerial activities, continuing education expenses, um, like your study books and your materials. The thing to remember with mileage and uh, and meals too, if you have to meet with parishioners and things like that. The thing to remember with both meals and mileage, IRS documentation rules do apply so that you have to know, you have to document who you're meeting with, why you're meeting with them, when you're meeting with them, where and what, and you know, the business purpose and how much or how far you've driven or what the cost of it was. So watch out for those. Um, documentation, can be easy with mileage. You know, there are many free, there's a lot of apps for smartphone apps that can use that. So, you know, they're available. The big thing you, to remember with, with that is if, you're, if your church provides a reimbursement account, like a mileage reimbursement account or an education expense account or something like that, use those first. First of all, because they're tax free. Um, it's a tax-free reimbursement. You would submit expenses and get reimbursed. You don't have to pick that up as income. The other thing is, is that if you say, you said, well, my church is struggling, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to give them all these expenses. Even though I have this account, I'm not going to give those expenses to them. I'm just going to deduct them on my tax return. Right. Right. IRS says you can't because you've made a conscious choice not to choose reimbursement. So those expenses up to the reimbursement amount aren't deductible to you. So first use what the church has budgeted that you know you can get reimbursed for, and then we can take the unreimbursed excess as a deduction for self-employment taxes. Yeah. So if you exceed a budget, budgeted amount key still keep track of your expenses because we can use those expenses to help reduce your self-employment tax right. you know we can't use them anymore to deduct your reduce your income tax anymore because the 2018 tax law repealed all of the miscellaneous itemized deductions for employees so that's right. gone but we can still use it to reduce your self-employment tax you know we'll keep track of those finally you know one of the odd things that you know, I get a lot of 
get a lot of questions about is um, like, for instance, I'll have a pastor who say, well, I'm not a suit sort of guy, but I bought a black suit to wear for funerals, you know, and things like that. Can I deduct that because I only wear it for funerals? And the question, the answer to that is really no, because it's not a uniform. You could wear it to the opera too. I, I keep joke with them. I say, well, if you want to emblazon in white bold letters the name of your church down your sleeve, that's fine with me. Then you could call it a uniform. Uh, but there are uni clergy uniforms and they're called clerical robes. And those are clerical robes investments are investments are deductible. Okay. To Right. From self-employment tax, right? Yeah. You could. Yeah. So the other thing with expenses that um, we should mention too, though, is when you're when you're talking about housing, because we've got mortgage insurance. I'm sorry, mortgage interest and property taxes, which right. can be applied to our actual cost for the housing. But we can also take those if we're able to itemize on Schedule A of our return. So you actually get a double benefit from the real estate taxes and the mortgage insurance being, um, you know, counting towards our itemized deductions uh, for income tax purposes. So, so essentially, you're excluding it from income and you're deducting it on your tax return, right. too. Right. Right. Same number. You don't have to, like, match it or anything. It's right. great. Right. 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 Double dipping. Yeah. Double dipping. One of the and last. It's perfectly legal. And perfectly legal to double <laughs> dip. Right. As long as we're touching on housing allowance again, just a question that's coming in here. Sure. Uh, do you recommend that the council approve a fixed dollar amount or a percentage of pay for allowance for a housing allowance? Well, generally, IRS looks for a fixed number. Um, and okay. so. So a fixed number is probably going to be because be needed before we can do that. Right. And so too, since we're back on housing, one thing to remember is the housing, if you're an employee getting a W-2, the amount that the church paid to you for housing shouldn't be included on your W-2 in the taxable compensation amount. Um, often churches will put it in a separate box as like a notation, but it's not in the number for taxable compensation. If you um, don't see it on your W-2, then make sure that it, what you're giving to your tax preparer, you're notifying them of the amount of your housing allowance because they'll need that to properly report for self-employment um, taxes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just another comment here related to uh, reimbursements and keeping track. Uh, Daniel Jew says, I use uh, MileIQ uh, as an app and it works really well, he says. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. Um, okay, so last topic. Um, it could be a touchy one. Income from weddings and funerals and special gifts yeah. Uh, these have to be reported. Um, they're always reported. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you'd talk about some of the challenge here, challenges here. Is there a simple way to keep track? Um, yeah. What are issues around, around this area? Sure. So, you know, if we are um, speaking at funerals or weddings, or say our church takes a love offering that um, over the holidays and they kind of pass the plate, and give us the cash at the end as kind of a Christmas gift, 
All of those things are really additional compensation for our ministerial services under the tax code. So they should be included in both uh, income tax and our self-employment income. And we usually report that on our Schedule C. So these are non-wage um, earnings from, you know, these are the ones we're truly an independent contractor. So you do need to make sure you're keeping a good record. If you are speaking at another church, say you're doing pulpit supply, um, or maybe your contract, the denomination will contract with pastors and have them speak at events. If it's over $600, you should expect to get a 1099 for those payments. So you'll certainly want to give that to your tax preparer. Um, but if it's less, even if it's less than $600, you're still required to report that as self-employment earnings on a, a Schedule C or CEZ. So keep track of those payments as they come in. You know, if you keep a log or an Excel spreadsheet, um, you can do it that way. But then the other thing is when we talk about expenses. Is mileage. Yeah. You know, for instance, for expenses for some of these things, because you are now, in a sense, taking off your employee hat and putting on your your true self-employment hat, you're being contracted by the wedding party or by the family to conduct the event. Um, you have to keep those expenses separate because those are directly deductible against that income. So if you have mileage to or from the funeral home, to or from the wedding venue or things like that, that would be deductible right. to you again, directly against those expenses. I did not know that. All those there years. <laughs> I did not know that one. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the, only, is... the only time you would ever not report this income is if you were contractually obligated by the church to remit it back to the church. Right. right. Then you, if you are contractually obligated to remit any outside income to the church, because you know, they say we're paying your salary, that's your salary. Um, then you are not required, you, even if you get a 1099 in your name, we would, what we would do is we would probably report it and then we would report the same amount as an expense that says remitted to such and such church as part under contract. You know, so like the, moral, the moral of the story here is go to your contract, read the small print, read the <laughs> print make sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, talking about the contract, you had mentioned financial shalom at yep. the start. Yep. And one thing that we do offer, um, and they've, you know, we've worked with them on that, is if you're new to a church, you know, you just took a call, we'll take your call letter and sit down with you and go over, here's the pieces in the call letter, and here's how they impact your tax status. And then even come up with estimates or help you calculate your withholding um, and look at that. And so we've, you know, they've referred people to us that way. And, and I think they even have money set aside that will help cover our fee for that too. Oh, so, Cool. Yeah, that's one of the things I really appreciate about Financial Shalom is, uh, you know, they really have a goal to find creative ways to um, make it possible for, uh, for pastors to be able to uh, get a solid handle on finances and to try to relieve any sort of stressors uh, that they may be experiencing um, in, their, in their own personal uh, financial situation. Um, 
this is this is really probably just scratching all of this is probably scratching the surface of, of a, a sort of a, a big topic um, we should probably save all of that for another time but uh, just sort of in closing anything that you thought of that we haven't covered that you want to just kick in here as as we wrap up uh, no just in the fact that um, is that when you when you come to a new location, um, make sure that you you know what taxes are involved. For instance, you know we're just outside the city of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, you know, obviously, you have a federal income tax to worry about. You have a Michigan state income tax to worry about. Um, Grand Rapids also has a city income tax to worry about. Make sure you you're just cognizant of all of the taxes that you would be possibly liable for at any time. Yep. And like you said, it's tax season. So make sure that you're setting up your appointment with your tax advisor. Don't wait until the 14th because you know, <laughs> you know, you're probably too late to try to get it done in one day's time. So, and you know, really we should be looking already now for 2020. I mean, what should our estimates be? Make sure we're planning ahead. Because um, the last thing we want is for a pastor to have to pay a whole bunch of tax due on April 15 right. and their first quarter estimate for this year. So the earlier you're in meeting with your tax advisor, the better. Right. And there, and there really can be some complication to this. So um, if you can uh, have a, a solid con conversation with a tax advisor around these issues, get some guidance so that you make sure, making sure all your ducks are in a row and, and uh, you're not paying too much. Um, and that just everything's solid uh, in terms of your tax return. Right. So Carolyn and, and Scott, I wanna thank you again. Thanks for working with me on this. I'm, I'm so appreciative of it. I'm so appreciative of your time. I know it's a busy time for, uh, for you guys. Um, I'm also appreciative of those who have joined us live. Just a reminder that uh, we record, this is uh, recorded. We'll put it out as a YouTube video. Um, we'll put it out as a podcast. Uh, I'll put that on the church Facebook page, the Barnabas Foundation church Facebook page. You can get it there. Uh, share it with your church treasurer. Share it with um, you know your deacons or whomever, another pastor or something like that, just uh, for good information for them as well. Also, just a reminder that uh, the winter issue of Generosity Today that is out. Uh, if you haven't seen it, just message me on Facebook. Uh, that's our quarterly newsletter from Barnabas Foundation to encourage uh, gifts in a will and also gifts of non-cash uh, cash assets to your church. Uh, so let me know if you haven't seen it. I'm happy to, to set you up with it. Uh, Carolyn and Scott, again, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, and thank thanks you. to everyone for joining us today. Thank you for listening. This audio has been brought to you by Barnabas Foundation. Learn how we can help you experience smart and powerful generosity. Visit us today at www.barnabasfoundation.com.